Here's Your Red Flag is intended for mature audiences only. Many, if not most, of our episodes will include topics such as psychological, emotional, and physical abuse, and detailed narcissistic and toxic behaviors. We are not professional therapists. If you are in need of professional help, please contact the appropriate authorities. Some names have been changed for anonymity purposes. The opinions expressed by the guests on the show are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Lisa or myself. You can find additional information about this podcast in the show notes, as well as on our website, heresyourredflag.com. And we are also on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. I flew up to the mirror Well, there was nothing that I seen You lie, I cried The butterfly walked in my eyes You lie, I cried The butterfly walked in my eyes Trigger warning, this episode contains instances of domestic abuse that may be difficult for some listeners. Please listen with care. If you or someone you know is a victim of domestic abuse, please visit the National Domestic Violence website at thehotline.org or see our show notes for the link. Thank you. Okay, so we are back for episode five. And Lisa is going to talk about her exit strategy and what the past two years of life has looked like for her in her healing. And since telling number two that he's out, he's out of there. So Lisa, take it away. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, mid, uh, mid-July of 2020, I came to the realization that our marriage was beyond repair. And not because of the decision that I made, but because of number two's refusal to seek help, either as a couple or individually. And I was not safe in that marriage. And I I knew that my priorities were keeping my children safe and keeping myself safe. And so the environment was not safe in any way, shape, or form, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, in every way, it was just a ticking time bomb. And so I very vividly remember processing some things with you. I had seen my therapist just a day or two prior. And so I was filling you in on all of her insights and things. And one of the recommendations that the therapist had was to reach out to the domestic abuse hotline because they would have safety plans and exit strategy ideas and could link me to resources within our community to help me through the process that are free of charge. And so I finished processing with you and something came over me. I was so afraid to call that hotline. So there was fear. There was shame and embarrassment and there was disbelief. I I kept trying to talk myself out of this being a domestic violence situation, but it was. And so I made the phone call and the person I spoke to was so compassionate and kind and affirmed within minutes that I was living in an abusive situation and I needed to get out. So they provided for me in writing a safety plan, some steps to follow. So I just encourage you, you you know, the domestic abuse hotline is a nationwide hotline and website. And so you can Google domestic abuse hotline and, and find that website. Their safety plans are readily available. So I would encourage anyone who is just curious about it for your, for a friend or family member, or even for yourself. Um, the, what's really great about that website is it has a safety feature uh, so that if you are happen you happen to be looking something up and your abuser is comes into the room suddenly that you could disengage from the website and there would be no no way to like hit the back button and see what you had done. So there are some safety measures there. So I contacted them and just felt so affirmed 
it was a true out-of-body experience that I will never forget that I got offline with that hotline and I immediately searched for attorneys in my area and it was the whole time I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this, but my, my fingers are just still searching and found one, read about them a little bit, said, that seems like a fit. So I called. So my main concern was physical safety for me and my children. Second to that was financial safety. I wasn't certain whether I would be able to keep my house, uh, whether I would be able to keep some inheritance money that was coming. I was just very uncertain. And so I called and spoke to this uh, attorney and she walked me through the legal side of what was rightfully mine and what was part of the marriage. And so she just comforted me that whatever I came into the marriage with, including my house, was still mine. And whatever was given to me through inheritance was still mine and not part of marital property. So when she told me that, I said, let's do it. Let's do it now. And so she sent me some forms to fill out and we drew up the paperwork that day. So then I called Tony, <laughs> told Tony what was happening. And it. I think maybe for for you, I don't know, maybe you can kind of clarify, but it did happen really fast. Like It was just a matter of, okay, here's what the therapist said. And, oh, I think I'll call this hotline. And, oh, I think I'll call an attorney. And we're doing this thing. And it there were, there were lots of Seinfeld happy dance memes going back and forth yes. during yes. this time. And it was fast and furious. Yes. But I do want to say that the whole time I just had adrenaline pumping through me like crazy. And I was very afraid. And I didn't know the timing. I didn't know when to tell him. I didn't, you know, do I tell him in person or when he's traveling? And so there were a lot of unknowns. And so Tony and my therapist helped me kind of map out and my attorney to uh, the best ways possible and the timing of that. And I I knew that God would would provide the absolute best way better than any plans that I had devised. And that ended up being true. So the paperwork was ready on uh, July 21st of 2020. And I told him on July 20. So, but I went ahead and filed. And then, so that was in the courthouse. And then on July 22nd of 2020, he was traveling for work and I called him at nine o'clock at night and told him that I would not live like this anymore and that I had filed for divorce. And he sounded like a different human on the other end of the phone. And after processing this with Tony and my therapist, I think we came to the conclusion that maybe he was acting, <laughs> but it was a lot of, a lot of just begging, no, no, oh, please, no, don't, don't do this and no. And just, um, but I, I stayed strong and let him know that these are the things that need to happen from on his side. These are the things that you need to do because this is happening. So we ended that conversation. Uh, he never tried to call me back that night. I did reach out to his first wife and let her know what was going on. The next day, I believe his first text to me was, when are your kids going to be off my health insurance? And <laughs> so that that was, wow, that was eye-opening. And I could really see where his thought process was. So the divorce was final 60 days after that. He did not hire an attorney. And he did not contest the divorce. He did not contest any of the property division or anything like that. I boxed up everything that was his and put it in the garage and arranged a date with him where he would come pick up those things. Now, I'm saying it really calmly now, but trust me, it was not, I was not calm at all about him coming back to pick up anything. And but, I want to interject yeah. that. <laughs> You also installed cameras. Yes. A ring doorbell. You know, I don't think we were overreacting. I'm just a cautious person. 
and my husband and I watch a lot of Dateline <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, we're just proactive um, yes. with our lives, especially. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so you took measures. Yes, I, we did take measures with the security cameras. And I was insistent that you, you, that you purchase a gun, learn how to shoot it. And this is pre-open carry being passed in our state. But you you got your concealed carry license and a gun became your new friend. Yes, that that is true. I did I just another layer of of protection, uh, physical protection, but but also more for my mental state. Yes. And I'm not promoting we're not promoting gun violence by any means, but you do need to arm yourself, if not with a weapon, with new locks on the doors, cameras, let your neighbors know what's going on so they can keep an eye out. You've got to have trusted people in your life that you can confide in. And so that's what we're referring to when we say arm yourself, arm yourself with knowledge. What are the the laws in your state regarding domestic abuse? And yes, your safety. And if you have children, your children's safety is of utmost importance. So he came to get his belongings and then, yeah, took them somewhere, wherever he took them. And pretty much our texts between the time I told him I'd filed and him coming to get his things were pretty much business-like, like, do you want the lawnmower or, you know, what have you. But then it started to be things like, hey, I saw these I saw these dishes and thought of you and here's a picture or uh, you should do uh, such and such with the yard. Uh, Remember to have this certain thing looked at by a plumber, all of these things. But you know what? I'm divorcing you and you don't have a right to me anymore and don't have a right to tell me what to do with my plumbing. You don't have a right to tell me what to do with my dishes you don't have a right to, to access me anymore. And so it reached a point where I told him after a lot of processing, and this was very, very difficult for me to do, but I said, do not text me again, unless it has to do with the divorce. And he agreed that he would not text me again, unless it had to do with the divorce. As with everything else in his life, he was lying about that. And over the next two years, I have close to 400 texts from him, phone calls and voicemails. And just, I think if anyone were to look at them in isolation, you would probably think they're harmless, but they're not harmless. He is still trying to control and manipulate and tell me what to do, be be the boss. The funny thing was you said, do not contact me unless it has to do with the divorce. And when he contacted you again with something that did not have to do with the divorce, he said, I know you said not to contact you unless it was important. And he beat that drum many times. Well, this is important and completely changed what you said, which was just par for the course and how he manipulated words. Yes, he changed it to fit what you know, his agenda. And he, he put words in my mouth Mm -hmm. and I guess a form of gaslighting. Gosh, there's so many funny, not funny, but he would send things like, well, first of all, he claims he would, he started sending letters and by letters, I mean, goodness, 13, 14 page letters, but there was really nothing personal in them. Again, it was a lot of preaching at me and letting me know how he doesn't think he was saved prior to or during our marriage. But since I told him about our divorce, now he suddenly found a relationship with God and but all, the, all the signs he was seeing. Mm-hmm. All, and- all the signs, billboards, uh, running into different people. And he, within those letters and texts and emails, he 
developed an acronym that he was fighting for me and eventually had license plates made with that acronym that included my initials. So his spiritual diatribes and abuse, and what I mean by abuse is consistently, and I'm talking every Friday night for years, sending sermons for me to listen to, sermon notes to complete. Then it transitioned to him holding church in his house and expecting me to join him either in person or in spirit, join him and he would have the scriptures laid out, the songs laid out, the videos we should watch to lay laid out. And I had not communicated with him since September 21st of 2020 when our divorce was final. Our divorce was final that day. And that was the last I communicated with him with one exception. And that was in October of that year. He did text asking if I had the spare key to his car. And I I probably should not have texted, but I just texted back no. I, I just felt like that was, I don't know, that was kind of an important thing. Like if you're you lost your car key or whatever, of course he was, you know, fishing for stuff. But I did respond to that. But other than that, no. I have not communicated with him at all by any means for two years. And he is continuing to have a one-sided relationship with me. And it's delusional. And continuing to text weekly, sometimes more, you know, several, sometimes daily for stretches at a time, but definitely bombarding with texts and emails. And it all came to a head when one of his daughters graduated from high school this past summer. She invited my kids and I. Do you want me to stop? Yeah, just real quick. So, you know, you're talking about all the all the texting, all the communicating he's doing one-sided with you. I think it's really interesting to point out some of the things he mailed to you, sent you during this time that completely goes against what he had set up in his thought process about traditional celebrations. Oh, yes. That is really fascinating. (laughs) So, yes, perfect. I'm so glad you asked that because July of 2020, I filed for divorce. August of 2020, you and I uh, decide to go on a girl's trip to our favorite little town. And it was kind of around my birthday. And so he texted me and said that he was sending me something and then emailed me that he was sending me something and that he had bought me a song. So if you remember in our last episode, I told you about this song incident. And one thing I neglected to say that was his hill to die on regarding that song was that he doesn't send or purchase songs in order to send messages to people. If he has something to tell people, he just says it flat out. He doesn't use songs to send messages to people. Okay. So in August of 2020, when we were going on our trip, he sent me a birthday card. And that, I believe, is the first birthday card he'd ever given me. He didn't sign it. He put that stupid acronym in there with my initials. So he didn't sign it. In fact, anything he's ever mailed, I don't think he signed his name to, which is very curious to me. So he sent me a card and then he sent me a song through iTunes, which just cracks me up. So here's this person who died on the hill of I don't use songs to manipulate people and turns around and sends the birthday card and a song. That year, he sent a Christmas card. He sent a Valentine's Day card. He sent a Christmas card every year, as well as gifts. But what I mean by gifts is nothing that I would pick out for myself, nothing that indicates he knows who I am and he knows that I love cats, chocolate, 
coffee, right? None of those things. It would be books. So he sent a lot of books on end times, Bible commentaries, whatever happened to be the book of the month for whatever series sermon he was listening to uh, are the books that, that I would get. And again, not from him. They would come directly from the publisher with a very romantic invoice <laughs> in the box, you know, N- not even a typed, you know, if you order something online for someone, you can type a message to them. No, not, not any of that either. No name, but, you know, knew they were from him. Well, it had his name on there. But, yeah. So in the midst of, you know, texts and everything, obviously I had made it a point not to see him or, around town or anything during this time. But in October, I was at the grocery store and he was standing in the milk aisle, just staring at me. And oh, I went over to him and. And also, this is not a grocery store that is anywhere near where his house was. This was a grocery store that was probably 45 minutes away from where he lived. Correct. Yes. He was, you know, mooching off of someone else up north, so, right? And right. So the grocery store that I go to was 45 minutes from where he was living at the time. And so there he was. And he was looking all polished. It was on a Sunday and wearing his suit. And he asked me how I was. And I said, I'm great. And he said, I wrote you a letter. And I can't remember exactly. He had written you a letter and FedExed it, FedExed it, trying to make sure that you would read the letter and you gave no indication that you had read the letter. Mm -hmm. Correct. So I said, are you referring to the letter that you FedExed? And he said, yes. And I said, well, I have not read that letter and I have no intentions of reading it. And at that time, his demeanor changed and he said, what do you mean? You didn't read the letter. You have to read the letter, Lisa. You have to read the letter. And he's getting more and more animated and more and more loud in a grocery store on a Sunday. (laughs) And I kind of motioned and we moved over a little bit more out of the way, but still people are just all around. He spent the next few minutes insisting that I read the letter. And when I just said, I'm not going to read the letter, I don't need to know what's in the letter. And I honestly wouldn't believe anything you said anyway. Well, in that grocery store incident, he proceeded to tell me what was in the letter. And what was in the letter was his recognition that he was not a good husband. He was not a good father. He admitted that he had a problem with alcohol. And I interrupted him a little bit then and said, I know you did because I was constantly finding your empty liquor bottles in the garage for years. And I never said anything. I I knew you were drinking. And he kind of let that go, you know, but that felt really good to me to be able to tell him that I knew all along. He said that he, the way he phrased it was had an addiction. He didn't use the word addiction. He looked at pictures of naked ladies on the internet. And I said to that, I said, that doesn't surprise me. Because I oftentimes felt like you were undressing people uh, in restaurants or in grocery stores when we were together. You would look at women. No, I wouldn't. And I just looked at him and I said, yes, you did. And he, you know, kind of recoiled from that a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to that conversation other than he just kept insisting that I read it. And at one point, he let it slip. He he was crying at this point. But I worked so hard on that letter. And I said, ah, so that's why you want me to read it. Because you worked so hard on it. Not because you've had some change of heart or no, you want me to see your work. No, I, I don't want to read that. And he please, Lisa, please. And so he's begging, crying. There is snot, y'all, coming from his nose like snot bubbles. And he is a grown ass man (laughs) and in a suit. And 
beg, you know, just begging and making a scene, really making a scene. And so he starts to walk away. He does walk away. He comes back and begs again, please, Lisa, please read the letter. Just please read it. And I said, I'm not reading the letter. I'm not reading the letter. And then we, we parted company. What was really, that was a really scary incident because he, the reason he gave for being in the store is that he was in the store the day before and supposedly left his glasses in the cart, the grocery cart. And after returning home, realized he forgot his glasses, called the store, someone had turned them in. So he came back to pick them up. I find that to be honestly, maybe less than truthful because he needs his glasses to drive. And once he got in the car the day prior, he would have realized he didn't have his glasses. So that is the point where I became aware of the possibility that he might be following me or have some sort of tracking device on my vehicle. And so in addition to my camera footage at home, I kind of ramp that up in terms of like notifications, receiving notifications more often of people, activity, I guess. And also I started checking my vehicle uh, religiously for, for tracking devices. And, you know, the saving grace throughout all of this is that he does travel throughout the week. And so I can assume that he's still working with the same company and still, you know, only home on the weekends. And so I never let my guard down fully, but I can breathe a little easier and it's gotten easier over time, but I definitely could breathe easier during the week knowing he's traveling and knowing that I can go to the grocery store on any given Tuesday or Wednesday and pretty much bet that he's not going to be around. And so for a long time, I did change my, my routines of going to, you know, the dry cleaner, the grocery store, the bank, I changed my routines was a minor inconvenience, but it did give me a lot of peace of mind that he wouldn't just um, pop up somewhere unexpectedly. So everything came to a head when, all right, well, let me backtrack a little bit. Over the course of two years, since the divorce being initiated and finalized there, I have close to 400 text messages. I have voicemails, emails, cards, letters, songs. He sent me another song at some other point. But remember, lovely audience, he doesn't send songs as messages, but yet he does. Kind of funny. And so all of his behavior, the personalized license plates and (laughs) all the crazy has gone unacknowledged. It is radio silence. And as far as he's concerned, for two years, just radio silence on my part for two years. And he has no indication whatsoever if I'm reading his stuff or not, but yet he keeps sending it. And there would be times of passive aggressive messages, things like, hello, my silent friend. Remember that? Hello, my silent friend. And then it would be peppered with phases of, you can't ignore me forever. And you even, your therapist even advised you early on to block him because that would help with your healing. And you did, you blocked him for, I don't know how long, a bit of time. And at some point decided, you decided to unblock him. Do you want to say something about that? Yes. Thank you for reminding me. Okay. So going back to filing the divorce is final during that time frame, my therapist just really shared with me the benefits of blocking him because he was maybe living in my headspace a little bit too much. And so, so that I could heal that blocking would be best. So I did block him. And then it was the October grocery store incident. Well, that showed me a side of crazy that I had not seen before. So I unblocked him at that point because I really felt that knowing his state of mind would actually be safe for me. And if he decided to say, he would often say, you want to have a date tonight? There would be no follow through. But I, I thought, well, if he did ask by text, do you want to have a date tonight? I'll pick you up at 
whatever time, then I know that when I'm at home, I need to be on the lookout for him. He's coming over. And so just that knowledge of his state of mind gave me a sense of safety and so that I hopefully would not be caught off guard by anything. So I kept him unblocked from that October for a number of months and it just got to be too much. It was just more of the same. Do you want to tell about the Thanksgiving? Yes. (laughs) Okay. So, so after the October incident at the grocery store, I decided to unblock him just as a way to kind of keep tabs on his emotional state and so that I wouldn't be caught off guard should he ever decide to come over. So that Thanksgiving, he invited me over for Thanksgiving. And gosh, I don't remember. I think that was it. It was just a a question. He sent the same question several times. Would you like to come over for Thanksgiving? And maybe can I find that text real quick? Yeah. Okay. So Thanksgiving of 2020, the Thanksgiving day, or prior to that, he had invited me to come over for Thanksgiving. And again, I just want to emphasize, I'm not replying at any point to his stuff. So that Thanksgiving morning, he texts, happy Thanksgiving. The very next one is, it doesn't matter if you communicate with me or not. I love you anyway. So then he said, he put words in my mouth because he goes on to say in the text, at HEB, you said you had a problem with forgiveness. My best advice I was given is to blah, 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 blah. And then he begins to preach at me about how to forgive him. <laughs> so I want to just say at HEB, I did not say I had a problem with forgiveness. He asked me at HEB if I would forgive him. And I said, that is a process for me. But remember that forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. And he doesn't want to hear that. You know, he wants me to accept him blindly like I used to do. And I'm not going to do that. Okay. So that was at 830 in the morning. Obviously, I did not go to his house for Thanksgiving. And at 439, he says through text, well, okay, I guess you are not coming over for Thanksgiving. Had a big spread from a local drive through restaurant. Not to worry, though. I'll freeze it and we can have it next year. (laughs) (laughs) On so many levels, it's hilarious because, well, throughout your marriage, I mean, y'all are having Jell-O one year for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then he goes to this local drive-thru restaurant and buys the spread Mm -hmm. to have a traditional Thanksgiving where you get to drive to his house, which Mm -hmm. is creepy. Mm-hmm. as I'll get out mm-hmm. go you know hey hi I'm here <laughs> yum yum <laughs> let's have a traditional Thanksgiving dinner together all of a sudden you right know? just it's just absurd and then you don't show up I guess he's crying over spilled milk so he's going to go ahead and freeze this food and save it for y'all for next year for one year yes Because surely next year you will have come back to your senses Mm -hmm. and come back to him. Yes. Which he did tell his first wife that the reason he bought or he was excited about the house that he'd purchased and he was fixing it up because I was going to move back in with him. I was going to move in over there, which, you know, no, because he's there. (laughs) No, no. So he just all kinds of delusions. So just lots of text and, you know, I block him, then unblock him to just keep a pulse on his emotional state. And for your peace of mind. And peace of mind. Absolutely. Mm. So continues to text, email, send cards and books for the next couple of years. And this past summer, his daughter graduated and she invited me and my, my kids to the graduation. 
Oh, and I really just really wanted to go because I love her and she's just important, important to me. And, but I was also concerned that he might be there. So I reached out to her mother and asked, you know, if he was going to be there. And she said that he had received notice of the graduation, but wasn't formally invited. And so she, and the daughter had not heard from him confirming that he would be there. And so I was, I'm thinking, and she's thinking it's safe. It's, you know, safe for me to go. And so my daughter and I are driving to the graduation when I got a text from his other daughter that said, oh my gosh, dad's here, but don't worry. We put him on one end of the row and we'll put you on the other end of the row. And I just looked at my daughter and I said, what do we do? You know, what do we do? And in that moment, I just heard my therapist's reminder that we're not to live our lives in fear. And, you know, what would I regret more? Would I regret not going to support her? Or would I regret going and maybe seeing a glimpse of him? And at this point in my life, I'm all about, I feel like I'm making up for lost time with relationships with people. And I'm not going to put my relationships with people on hold anymore. And so my relationship with her was the most important thing. And so we went. He was there. He had a look on his face that conveyed shock that we were there. And I, uh, you know, kind of greeted everyone who was all the family that's sitting in the row. I greeted each one of them with a smile and hello and got to him. And I was like, hey, you know, and went on through the ceremony. And the following day is when everything really came to a head with texts and phone calls. And I did not answer the phone. I did not reply to the text, but things like, I didn't know you were going to be there. It just caught me off guard. I'm sorry for not talking to you. I know you're mad at me because I didn't talk to you. And first of all, I am relieved that he did not talk to me. My daughter is more really relieved that he did not talk to us because she had a little forward diatribe to say to him had he uh, tried to say anything. But it, you know, again, just that, um, you know, gaslighting in a sense, you know, putting words in my mouth, putting thoughts in my head that weren't there to begin with. And, you know, his existence at that graduation was meaningless to me. It was meaningless to his daughters as well, because he has not forged a relationship with them. And he, yes, he, the texts became more and more emotionally erratic. And then the phone calls and the voicemails would go back and forth between emotional, like a grieving man to threatening. And he started saying, we need to meet, we need to meet and talk. And several times throughout the years, he's hinted at this idea of, come on, Lisa, come to your senses, like enough of this, enough right? Enough of the silence, enough of the not responding to my pulpit messages. And he insisted that we meet and talk alone at a park the following Saturday at 9 a.m. Then it became, if you don't meet me at Saturday at 9 a.m. at a park, I will come to your house. So I have my concealed carry. I rightfully own a firearm and I have bug spray (laughs) and ring cameras and my neighbors know of his emotional instability. I called the police non-emergency line. Thanks to, you know, processing this with Tony, you really encouraged me to get some information about what my rights are. And so I called the non-emergency line and they said, absolutely. If If he comes to your property, you need to call us. So he was leaving those voicemail messages and texts, many, many, many of them, dozens, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of that week. And then he started sending flowers and sent flowers two days in a row. So Saturday morning, 
9 a.m., he showed up and rang the doorbell and kind of paced on the front stoop for a bit, lingered, and on the ring doorbell camera footage, you can hear him say, come on, Lisa, open the door. But it's not a sweet, like, oh, you know, it's not sweet. It was, he is, um, there's a lot of anger and rage there. And uh, that I could just really see in him. So my daughter and I are inside while he's here. And I called Tony. And what do you remember about that? That was crazy. <laughs> we were we were talking about it and then yeah, or that he had come. And then you said he's back again. And like call the police call the police I, I, that's what i remember mm-hmm. it was it was real life oh my gosh yeah. it was just yeah not your typical saturday morning <laughs> <No>. <laughs> not at all not at all yeah the first time he came and he you know he lingered for a bit you know i debated on whether to call the police and i just thought oh you know it's just a one off it's just a okay whatever But then when he came back, you know, the 10 minutes later, that's when I thought he's not going to, he's not going to go away. And so I did call the police and they came and took my statement and I gave them a brief history of our relationship. And the police officer said, you know, I think there is enough here for you to file harassment charges. And I said, okay. And He gave me phone numbers to call and information to follow up during the week, which I did. So after that weekend, the texts continued and he was still going to be fighting for me. And I don't really remember all that was there, but I just don't remember that part. Do you? You want to look it up? Yeah. Just his voicemails. You know, one would be so pleading and then the very next one would be such a different demeanor and Mm -hmm. threatening and sanctimonious yes we have an actor who will now read from the transcripts of number two's voicemails left that day good morning well i just rang your doorbell knocked on your door you may or may not be in the house wanting to answer or not answer but i'm going to keep trying I'm going to keep pursuing you because you're worth pursuing. Have a good day, sweetie. Hi. Now, you said this is Lisa. Leave me a message and I'll call you back. So I'm still waiting for your call back. I know you know my phone number, so call me back, please. You know, Lisa, you know what the trouble is with us? Well, it's not the trouble. Well, we have lots of them. But I was not saved when we were married. But I am now, and the letter I wrote you is from the heart, and it's probably only 25% finished. There's so much more to be written. And you know when I said, you know what the trouble is between us? The trouble is we both love one another deeply. We both do. I've loved you from the very beginning, even though it was a weird sort of fleshy, earthly kind of love. But now, just like the Apostle John said, I've come to know and understand the love of God, and I love you. You're my wife. Although we're not officially married, you're still my wife. And I love you, and I'm going to pursue you. Okay, call me back. Bye. Although these are just an actor portrayal of the voicemails, we felt it important for listeners and maybe somewhat interesting too. And keep in mind that the first voicemail was sent moments after he left my doorstep in June. And the second voicemail was about 15 minutes later when he came back. And the tone of the two voicemails are markedly different. The first voicemail, he was very contrite and quite emotional. And the second voicemail, he has more of a condescending and threatening tone. 
Yes. So after that, he, after coming over and I don't answer the door, he called and texted multiple times that day. All of that went unanswered. I called the police. They come and get a statement and give, um, I give them some information. They, they sent a patrol officer to my neighborhood to patrol for the next few hours in case he were to come back. I gave them a description of him as well as his vehicle and, and his license plate. <laughs> well, his license plate. So, you know, for all this time that he's had these personalized license plates with the acronym and my initials on them, we kind of went back and forth with each other. Like, is this real or is he just, you know, did he just, he would send me pictures of the license plates and even glue pictures of them in his cards to me. <laughs> <laughs> Every girl wants a picture of a license plate in a birthday card. I'm just saying men listening out there, <laughs> it's a great tactic. And so we debated back and forth. I, I had convinced myself that he just ordered them off some website like as garage art or something. And I think Tony, you, you believed that they were legit probably more than, more than I did. So Definitely. part of the funny thing, you know, during my adrenaline rush of him being on my, on my front doorstep was being able to see when he drove away that the license plates were there. Indeed. Like there he's driving around town with these license plates. So after that weekend, he continued to text asking me if I wanted a, a bulletin for Saturday night services, which if you heard my last episode, you heard me talk a little bit about how he would write church service plans, but it was just a church service in his own home that he would invite me to. And a few months prior to this kind of backtracking, he told me that I would no longer receive the Saturday night service bulletin unless I specifically asked for them via text or unless I came to his house. So that was a little threatening thing. And so I could kind of tell he was perturbed that I wasn't, I wasn't feeding his ego by wanting his church service bulletins. So after I called the police, then I followed up with them the following week and the detective I spoke to said, not only did I have enough evidence because I've kept all the texts, the letters, the voicemails, the books, and the cards, I've kept all of that. The detective connected me with the family violence unit of the police department and they let me know that I had enough to charge him with stalking. And so we proceeded with that. I did not press charges per se, but did apply for a protective order. And that protective order application was approved by our district attorney. And we had a court date after he was served papers. I was on court via Zoom and he showed up in person. He was the only person in the courtroom, I guess, to defend himself or more accurately, probably to, in his words, fight for me should I have shown up that day. And I, I shudder to think what would have happened had I shown up that day, you know, dateline. Yeah. The last text he sent me, he continued to text me because he did not know all of this was going on in the background with, with our police and the district attorney. He didn't know any of that. Um, so the last text that he sent was, you know, 9.30 is coming up. 9.30 was always our time to talk when he was traveling. Do you want to talk? And that was it. But between me not answering the door when he showed up and him being served with yeah, protective order, he invited me out to a, a pretty, not abandoned necessarily, but pretty off the beaten path park. Uh, wanted me to meet him out there. Not sure what would have gone on there, but uh, yeah, no. So July 13th of this year, I was granted a protective order. He agreed to it, but did make a statement that he denied all of the allegations that I made against him. So I had to give a statement. And so everything pretty much I've said on the podcast 
plus a few more examples of, of abuse are in my statement. And he denied all of that, but did agree to the protective order. And he had to follow up with Family Violence Protection Unit here in our county. And I don't know if he's done that yet. And I don't think I would be really privy to that information anyway. But he has not, to my knowledge, come by my house since then. Um, my children are protected under this protective order. My home is protected and our places of work, my place of work and my children's place of work. We are protected by this protective order and it's good for for two years. Wow. Yes. And so, you know, I have gone back and forth in my mind about, oh, this was kind of unnecessary. It seems so drastic and things like that. But just tracing back over the years, how his emotional abuse and manipulation got more and more overt. Certainly the name calling physical aggression got more and more. We were on the cusp of some financial issues. And I could just see the writing on the wall with that. And certainly the spiritual abuse. Oh, my goodness. It was just all escalating. And then when he did come to my home, that that's where I drew the line. And enough. That's enough. And so we we shall see how this how this plays out. But since July, I've been able to do a lot of healing without him, you know, constantly texting or calling. So there, most days that he doesn't even come into my mind. It's not even a thought. And it's been really wonderful. And I wasn't necessarily suffering before. So I want to make, kind of make that clear, you know, during the text were just more things to kind of process. They were annoying. A few times they were threatening, but I wasn't living my life in fear, you know, concerned. He's delusional. So. Yes. Yeah. I think I think it's interesting he is respecting authority by not contacting you anymore. Because what could happen to him if he were to contact you? Anything, even a text. Mm-hmm. So any any form of contact with me or my children. So uh, showing up at our places of work, showing up at home, Texting, emailing, calling, anything, a delivery, a flower delivery, anything would then trigger a warrant for his arrest. So he, you know, he needs his job for income. And, you know, simply, in simplest terms, he just cannot afford to go to jail. But also part of that narcissism within him is he needs to paint himself as being an upstanding citizen. And I believe that's part of the reason why he went to court, all dressed up, carrying a briefcase, is he looks to be a clean-shaven, law-abiding citizen, and he very much needs to project that image. But the stakes are high for him should he break this protective order. And you betcha, the moment something happens, I'm calling the police. And yeah, the stakes are high for him. So you know, having said that, I, you know, sort of fully anticipate something July of 2024 when this runs its course. I wouldn't be surprised. Even if he's moved on to someone else, I would be foolish to think that this is over. I hope it's over. And I hope he, I mean, sadly for someone else, I, you know, we, we say, yeah, he'll, he will move on. And there are, you know, probably women out there that would would take on a dude like that because of their own baggage I hope they don't I mean I wish we could put his face on a billboard and say please you know warning 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 there are a lot of people out there that are like him that take advantage of sweet wonderful people like you and that was the impetus for us talking about putting this out on a podcast because we would just really hope to, you know, reach, we say one, at least one person. I hope we reach people that are saying, is this anything? And um, can be inspired by your story and see that, oh my goodness, this happens to other people. I am not alone. And that is the thing about people that are in relationships like this is 
the complete isolation that happens and gaining knowledge, gaining the insight, getting enlightened to what this looks like, what the the trauma bond looks like, what the abuse looks like, what the cycle looks like. That is your first step, basically, in coming out of that. (laughs) That's perfectly said. Yes, it is. It is truly a fog. And yeah, we just really hope that your situation helps other people. And, you know, you, again, you know, I just have to emphasize the Lisa two years ago is so different than the Lisa today. And you've grown so much and, you know, you're on a path to becoming a licensed professional counselor. I know that, you know, you'll be so helpful to your clients in the future. I really just appreciate you being so vulnerable and putting this out there. Thank you so much. And thank you for your friendship throughout all of this. And you just stuck with me even when I pushed you away and you're just beautiful. I do love you. And I don't ever feel like you push me away. I think you may be slightly nudged, (laughs) but you know, I loved you too much to let you go. And it's wonderful to see your growth. And I just love celebrating that with you and love being able to talk about this. Um, We were talking kind of a little during a little break that this is cathartic and it's kind of, it's cathartic for me too. I'd didn't go through the trauma you went through, but I was kind of a witness to it, especially the past two years. And I love how far you've come and that these experts, the, the books, the the other podcasts, the YouTubes, that stuff works. You know, that's the, that's the starting point is getting educated. And the moment you started getting educated, you could see the moment him really accelerating into something that was going to be pretty scary. I mean, it was scary, but I can't even imagine if you had not gotten out of there sooner. Yes. And, you know, that education is key. And so in our upcoming episodes, you don't have to hear me (laughs) drone on about my experiences anymore. I think we're going to launch into that education piece and talk about those, you know, kind of buzzwords surrounding toxicity and narcissism and gaslighting, manipulation, power and control. And we'll be interviewing some people who are experts in different fields and it's going to be good. So the rest of it will be truly all about noticing red flags and what to do about them. And you said something earlier about when we process with each other and ask, is this something? I think it's true that if we're asking the question, is this something, it's fair to say that it is. Yes. Oh, yes. And, and it's a red flag. So it's really important to, to notice that. And is it something? Prob- maybe so. And go you for noticing and keep noticing. That's what I would tell, my, tell our audience is keep noticing. Mm. Listen, listen to your body. Listen to, pay attention to your relationships. Are they thriving or are you putting them on hold? Are you avoiding people? Kind of do some introspection and think about those things. And, you know, are you happy? Are you, is this easy with this person? Is life easy with this person? And there will be bumps in the road. Or are you having to perform and keep things a certain way? Are you having to adjust who you are to make them happy? Those are some big questions to ask. But if you have to ask, is this something, chances are it. It could be. Mm-hmm. And just like if you wonder, am I a narcissist? The answer to that is no. If you're <laughs> if you're wise enough to wonder if you are, you're probably not because narcissists and toxic people are not wondering about themselves. They're too busy pointing fingers at other people. That's right. And I like how you said, really pay attention to your body. And I do hope to have an expert on who can go into that a little bit. I, we have a couple of experts that one who will explain the mind and the three, the three areas of the brain and how we function. And then another one that talks about things that attract us and things that repel us really, you know, outside of going to a therapist, you have freedom inside your mind and you have the ability to listen to your body, your body, your gut, your heart and your mind are constantly communicating 
and are giving you messages that you can pay attention to. And that's at least a starting point. Perfect. Perfectly said. Yes. Well, I appreciate so much as always you being so gracious and generous with what has happened to you and your altruistic spirit of wanting to share this to help other people. And that is, you know, just such a gift to our listeners. And I look forward to next week. We will be delving into the nuts and bolts of narcissism and toxic relationships. We will be discussing all of the buzzwords. So anyone who needs a refresher course on all of that before the Red Flags episode will feel very well versed. And we have other great topics coming up, as promised. Yes. Stay tuned, y'all. More greatness is coming. That's right. Well, thanks again. We will talk to you guys next week Mm -hmm. on Here's Here's Your your Red red Flag. flag. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, y'all. Here's Your Red Flag was written, directed, and recorded by Tony and Lisa and edited by Tony. Our theme song is Butterfly Woke by Jairus. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks, y'all.